everyone, I'm Elena Aguilar, and this is the Bright Morning Podcast. So this episode is a coaching episode, and my guest today is a teacher named Abigail Brown. She is a first-year teacher teaching math to middle schoolers in Indianapolis. Can you just pause for a moment and imagine, try to imagine, what it would be like for your first year of teaching to be in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic? I mean, to be launching a career, beginning a new life as a young person in your early, mid-twenties, or at any age, I suppose. In this context, it, I mean, it's hard for everybody. So I was really grateful then I could have this conversation with Abigail and, and really grateful to my teammate, Helen, who suggested Abigail as a, as a guest for our podcast. And, um, I had, I had a lot of thoughts in this conversation. And so I've got more interruptions, you know, where I kind of stop the recording and later insert my own reflection on what was going on in my mind. So I've got a lot of those in this one, just because I had so many thoughts about um, Abigail and what she was going through and how to support new teachers in this time and hoping that these pauses where I where I reveal my thinking are helpful to all of you. Because I also know that many of the coaching strategies I used with Abigail would be useful and relevant, not only to new teachers, but really to many educators during this time, because we're all, in a sense, we're all facing a new situation. It's kind of like we're all new again, new teachers, new coaches, new whatever it is that we're doing. We're all new. All right, let's get into this conversation with Abigail. So I'm actually currently in Indianapolis, Indiana but I'm from Missouri. So I've been here about a month and a half and first year teacher, really excited to be in Indianapolis with a first year school. And yeah, I, that's, that's where I currently am and I'm really excited about it. So. Wow. So first year school, this is the school's first year of existence. Yes. In a way. So we are a like innovation school, which means we uh, are under the Indianapolis Public School District, but we are separate and have our own autonomy in a lot of things. So the PATH school itself is a first-year school, but we're going into a school that has kind of been chronically failing over the last three years. So the students are very um, familiar with the building. The building is not new, but the structure of the school is new. I see. Ooh, that's a hard time to be implementing a new structure. Yes, it's been really interesting coming in because it is like an all new staff as well. For the most part, there's probably like six or so, seven staff that are still the same for these students. And so 
coming in as a first year teacher in a first year school and then COVID is like, all right, let's go. Like, this will be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what do you think are the three things that are most important for me to know about you? Three things that are most important about me. That's actually a really good question. I would say one that I, I like love being in like big groups of people. So one of the things that I take to heart a lot is that um, I am one of nine kids. And so we had like a really fun time growing up. And so even though that I would call myself introverted and conversations are kind of hard for me sometimes in big groups of people, I love people in themselves. And so that is really salient for me. I have a really deep spiritual life and love uh, getting into spirituality and hearing about other people's spirituality as well. And I would call myself a daughter of the Lord. And last, I would say like about me is I'm, I'm learning to be in the new. That, that seems weird to like say that that's about me, but I'm in a season of newness for me and a season of firsts for me. And I feel things very deeply. And so I, to be about me in a season of first, I'll let you know that I feel it deeply and I'm excited about it, but also very nervous about it. Mm. Can you recall another season that you've been in that's been like this, like a season of firsts? I think like heading off to university was a season of firsts for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I moved all the time growing up. And so we moved every like year to half a year. So I was used to like being in a new place, but navigating university, I'm a first generation college graduate. And so going into and trying to figure that out for four years was very new to me. And I feel like this is definitely like part two. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So during that going off to college and figuring, figuring all of that out, what internal resources did you draw on to, to navigate that situation or figure it out? Like, how did you get through that situation? Yeah, I'd say, okay, so I definitely have internal resources and I had a lot of really good external resources too. I think one thing that I've realized is one of my biggest strengths is like learning how to ask for what I need. It's been like a, um, growing in process or like progress for me but to navigate university was a lot of knowing how to ask the right questions and having people around me that were able to build me up and support me when I didn't know the right questions to ask and so jumping in I think I came to the realization of like if you don't put yourself out there and you don't try the things that you might epically fail at you're not going to figure out this college thing. And so it was like very scary for me. And, and when I was younger, like I would never do anything that I could, I could potentially not be good at. And coming to college, realizing that there's a lot of things that I wasn't good at and that I could learn to be better at, I guess, like courage to step into that and know that it could go wrong, but it could go like wonderfully right. I'm just hearing so many skills as well as self-awareness that that are transferable to this situation you're in. I know you did the activity, the core values. 
And I'm curious what your three top core values are. I would say my top core values is one, just being completely authentic. So that comes with honesty and vulnerability. And then my word for the year, which is also a value, I guess, for me is like bravery. Mm. My yearly word this year for 2020 and it's hitting hard. Um, so I'd, yeah, I would say authenticity, mm. uh, vulnerability and bravery. Mm. One more question. So I can kind of have this, like, this is my like big picture really quick sort of capsule of, of who you are. What are your most perhaps salient and perhaps salient right now identity markers? I were, wow, so good. Right now, my salient identity is that I am a Christian woman and a woman who loves Jesus in a time that maybe the word Christian isn't such a heartwarming word. I would say that I am a strong leadership woman and learning my how to be a leader as a lady and in that. And then also that I'm very aware that I am a white woman in a mix of trying to be very empowering and um, a part of a team that gives us all a place in this world and a place in our country and a place in our schools. Thank you. So this is your first year teaching. This is the end of your second week. And this is a let's say, really unique time to become a teacher. And I know in your email to me, one thing that really jumped out was that you're working from 5 a.m. until midnight. So just perhaps a reflection of how how demanding teaching generally is, especially in the first year, and, and trying to figure it out in these times. So I want to just offer you some space really to kind of talk without even thinking like you need to make any sense at all. Just what have you been thinking, feeling, going through in these weeks? Yeah. So it's been a whirlwind, really good and really crazy. I mean, a world, uh, a word web of all of the things that I've been on my mind to like process of what's happening. And First, I like realized that like this was like way more than I like ever thought. Like I knew it was going to be hard. Like I and I know it's going to continue to be hard, and I know it's going to get easier. But in these first two weeks, I've realized that like one, like I'm not going to be able to like do it alone. I need a lot of people in my ballpark and helping me out. And I was, I just like put all these things of like, what do I need right now? What am I questioning? Where am I at? And I was struggling when before coming in because I was thinking, well, if I'm asking what I need or if I'm making this like what I am for, am I like neglecting what could be beneficial to other people? And had a really good friend tell me like that is not accurate. And so I wrote down all of these things saying like in the last two weeks, I've tried to figure out how do I get like practical supports for my students? Because I, I don't know them. Like I'm, I'm building relationships online, which has been really awesome. And through a digital platform, some of them, I don't know what they look like because they're too nervous to come on camera. 
that I've got to like stay after and listen to them talk. And that's been really good. And trying to figure out the first two weeks have been awesome because it's been based on like social and emotional learning instead of like going straight into content. But I'm also really nervous going into content because we have so many like technical problems right now. And being a first year school, we took a long time to like try to get like our like structures that are allowed us to use applications and not block us out of applications are not quite there. And we don't have all of our kids don't have Wi-Fi yet at their houses. So we're like trying to get those out. And it was just like, okay, I'm really stuck on this practical stuff. And then over these last two weeks, I've also started thinking of like, where do I, where do I stand and where do I like push further to like help my students and like push at my school and challenge people? And like, when do I hold back because it's not my place to do that right now or not my place um, like I'm not in a structure that could be doing that. But then as I like did all this in the last two weeks, I got stuck in the like, how do I find the time? Like the time for all of it. How do I find the time for my kids and my scholars and go in and help them? How do I find the time to like support myself? Because 5 a.m. to like midnight is not something I want to do anymore. Like, and I know that in a new school and in a new place, we have to take more time right now. And like, then I will have more time later because we like did all these things currently. But I'm like thought back to university and thought about like when I get a task, I'm in it 5,000%. And sometimes it's hard to get me out of it and like realize that like, Abigail, you have to take time for yourself. And then I'm like, all right, well, time for myself means I'm going to clean my house today because that's going to make me feel good. And so like, that's time for myself. And it's not because that's just another task for me to do. And I just like come to the realization in the last two weeks and really thinking about it of I'm so, I'm like learning that work-life balance. I'm learning that teacher balance. I like went back and got to look at some of this stuff from our training this summer and some of the videos that you had with us in our onward book. And it was like, went to the last one of our like emotional resilience and realizing that I'm just pushing so hard into things that I'm not going to be beneficial to people. And I'm not Mm -hmm. beneficial to myself if I continue to have a five to midnight schedule and not sleep and not go hang out on a farm with a friend. And I don't know if I said that the way that I wanted to, but I think it's just kind of, I come down to time and like mm-hmm. I meet every student and not let a student fall for the cracks, but also like not let myself fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you are including yourself in the, people who should not fall through the cracks, (laughs) right? Because that's whether it's finding the balance or just remembering that you, you're included as a person whose needs deserve to be met and need to be met. And I really hear that you're, I mean, first of all, I hear you're thinking so much about so many different 
elements about teaching and being a teacher. Everything from, you know, where do I take a stand? Where do I push? You said that, and I'm thinking, oh, this is only week two. (laughs) And yes, it's great to cultivate that kind of a mindset that's a leadership mindset. And I think about it as like, you're already thinking about the much bigger picture and the systems. And, And then how do you meet your kids' needs? And what do you do about the factors that are on the periphery of your influence, even like their Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I'm seeing because we're, we're able to see each other on video. I'm seeing that you're crying. What are the emotions that are coming up for you? I'm crying because I think about, I know I said new earlier and as like a kid, I was like the new person in school a lot. So like everyone else was the same, but like I was the new one. And right now, like for our kids, they're all the same and they know each other, but they have like a whole new staff, like people they didn't know before. And a lot of my kids are like, I've been here since kindergarten and I can show you every, every hallway in this place. I can show you every room. I know where like the secret things are in the basement I'm so excited when we're in like fully in person that like for you to show me all those things. But I think about what is best for these students. And I know that I am also a first year teacher. So I have in mind like wanting to hear what they want and what is good for them. And, and we're making so many changes that sometimes make me really nervous for them and like where they are. And I, I, as I said earlier, like, this is where I'm fighting of like, where do I push? And like, where do I say like, Hey, like, I feel really strongly about this. And I've heard from my scholars and I've heard from like other teachers and I want to challenge what we're doing right now, but also know that like, I'm a first year teacher, but I'm just, I just start crying when I hear, when I just think about my kids and knowing how uncertain I feel right now and how scary it is for me going forward and just wanting to think about what is best, what I can do to best support them in everywhere that they are. So first of all, as I said before we started recording, I really welcome tears. I think tears are an embracing of who we are. And as human beings, we have emotions and we're welcome to have our emotions. I think it's a human right to experience and express emotions. And so you warned me that you cry. And I said, great, bring it. Tears are, tears are really welcome. And I'm hearing that, I'm hearing that what's connected to, to these strong emotions is I think a little bit of overwhelm, (laughs) which is, to be expected. I also, I think I'm hearing some fear, fear that you won't meet your students' needs, fear that you won't be able to find a a way to do this in a way that's sustainable for you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have tissues? Do you need to go get tissues? (laughs) I'm good. Literally it's, Five times a day, I get really excited. I cry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I want you to think of, 
one or two of your students that you've just started getting to know, just call them to mind. And I want you to tell me, thinking about those specific one or two students, in 10 years from now, how do you want them to remember you? I'm going to pause this here for a moment to give you a little context about the next question that you're going to hear me ask. When we are overwhelmed by what we're in the middle of, a current situation, when we're trying to get clarity, perhaps to prioritize, a couple of things can really help. One is perspective, and you can gain perspective by by looking at your situation from across a period of time. Sometimes when we think back to something being difficult 10 years ago, we have perspective on it, right? And the other thing is we can respond to overwhelm by finding criteria that helps us prioritize. The criteria that I often invite people to explore as criteria for making decisions about current overwhelm is their legacy, who they want to be, what impact they want to have, how they want to be remembered. When you're overwhelmed with a situation, meaning you're experiencing a whole lot of emotions, and maybe you're also physically exhausted, maybe you're just cognitively, mentally tapped out as well, thinking about your legacy, the impact you want to have, can be like a, a guiding North Star a compass point, something that helps you clarify what you're doing and helps you remember the big picture, helps you get perspective in a sense. And so you're going to now hear me use this coaching strategy with Abigail. And if you've listened to this podcast even a handful of times, or if you've seen me coach, I use this a lot because it's really powerful. It's a really powerful strategy. It also can help someone feel a sense of power. Who they want to be, the legacy they want to have, is something that is within their sphere of influence, perhaps even within their sphere of control. All right, so listen to what that sounds like with Abigail. Yeah, I would love them to remember me and like remember this year, even if they don't fully remember my name, that they were completely wanted in school every day, that I want them to remember that I challenged them. I want them to feel challenged and pushed in the ways that they would love to be. I want them to remember this year as 
a place that was encouraging and that they, I just, I want them to remember me and remember this time that they were like completely known that they could show up every day any way that they are and that they learned some math because that's my job <laughs> to teach them some math and that they felt pushed in that math and um, loved. At the end of the day, I just want my students to know that they get to be exactly who they are and show up that way every day. So you want them to know that they are accepted, that they're wanted, that they're known, that they are encouraged, that they can show up as whoever they are. To me, the big umbrella for that is that they're loved. You want them to know they're loved. And I'm going to shift the the, the syntax on that. You want them to know that you love them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, you want them to learn some math. <laughs> and I would say that's your, so you can see if this resonates for you or if you want to try it on. I'd say in my perspective, and this is not an opinion shared only by me, but I would say your job is to teach them math and to love them. Loving them is also part of your job. So I don't want to just narrow it down to the delivery of content and, you know, their mastery of certain standards or content, right? If we think more broadly about education, our job is to love our young people. And part of loving them is delivering them the with the the skill set and the intellectual rigor that they want. So I'm just curious in that framing that I've just partly offered and partly reflected back to you, what do you hear? What, what comes up for you? I, I want him like thinking about like, okay, here's my authentic piece. First it was like, Oh, wow. Like, Abigail, I feel like you're speaking to yourself, too. Like, you want your kids to be able to show up every day and learn math and be known. But that's what you really want for yourself as well. So, like, when you come to school, show up and be known and know that, like, you're learning as well. So that's the first piece that kind of, like, resonated over me is that not only is my job to, like, do that for my students, but to model that for my students and then two, not to get lost in the content, not to get lost in the task. And so, yes, my job is to teach them math, but my job is to teach them as people. And as you said, like, it's also to love them. And so I know that it's not going to like come out right away. And, you know, a lot of my kids are like, I hate math, math sucks. And I'm like, I know that feeling. (laughs) And so Um, not getting lost in that math um, and knowing that they are going to struggle. And like, that's how we learn things and show them that like, all right, I love you and all of this. And like, we get behind a little bit on curriculum, then we catch back up. But as long as that 
they know that I'm here for them and I'm learning as well with them, then like it's all worth it. I think I was getting like a little bit bogged down thinking about all the things that I have to put out next week for my math curriculum because it'll be my first week teaching that and it's new to me and I've never done it and I'm going to mess up a lot. And uh, I was struggling. What if we don't, what if we don't get to it all in the first week that we're supposed to? And what if they don't understand it, which they might not because, you know, it's the first time they're learning it. And, but like knowing that my job is to teach them math, but to show them love as well, kind of takes a lot of the weight off of making sure that every single technical part is right. So that's also just a really powerful insight that you had about your own desire to be accepted and seen for who you are. What makes you feel accepted and welcomed and encouraged and valued and loved? I think when I can show up in a space and be completely honest with the way that I'm feeling and someone not be like, all right, well, I'm going to head out now. I guess like for example in this, I have an amazing teacher that I work with and I always challenge people when people are like, how are you? And you're like, good. And then I'll always be like, are you really good? Because we've just been so like conditioned to say good to that question. And when I can, when someone can say, how are you? And I can give them an answer that's not good, even if it's okay or great or excellent or I actually feel like I'm falling apart a little bit and then they stay and say, awesome. Like, let's talk about it or like, let's hear it or, or like, let's just sit here. I feel like when I can come in and sit and say where I'm at coming in and people stay that I feel very loved and valued and known. Sometimes when people come in and they're like, how are you? And you're like, good. And you're choking it down and kind of crying. And they're like, awesome, just wanted to check in. And then they head out. You're like, all right, know that that's not the safe space to be all of me. So So what do you know about your students and how they experience love or acceptance or belonging? So just a few minutes ago, you heard me ask Abigail about how she feels loved or accepted or experiences a sense of belonging. And maybe you might have wondered why I asked her that about herself. Now, I asked her that for a couple of reasons. First of all, we all deserve to feel loved, accepted, to feel a sense of belonging, all of us, and having an awareness about what makes us or what helps us have those experiences or those feelings is really useful self-awareness, useful insight. And there was a second reason, 
because I wanted to also prompt Abigail to think about how her students might experience love or acceptance or belonging. And to get to that question that you just heard me ask, I had to start with having her reflect on her experience for herself. This is kind of a... This is a, a useful, almost almost want to say a coaching rule to keep in mind. Simplistically, start with yourself, then think about the other person. For teachers, start with themselves, then think about the others. For teachers, what does respect mean for you? What do you think it means for your students? Now, a couple of reasons why. First of all, we want to help teachers see, remember, that sometimes there's differences between ourselves and other people. I know that sounds really simplistic and obvious to say, but remembering, for example, that your definition of respect might be different than a child's. And I also want to say, you know, I'm not lumping all students into having the same definitions either or the same experiences of what it feels like to be loved or accepted or to feel belonging. But I want to begin to create the reminder, perhaps the awareness that we want to understand our own experience, our own definitions, beliefs, and then We want to understand other people's, and particularly the people, little people, whom we're there to serve. It's also a a useful entry point to being able to suggest to someone, okay, you're really clear on your own definitions or your own understanding of how you feel accepted, I wonder what you could do to better understand your students. It's a way to create authentic curiosity about someone else's experiences. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I think that's something that I'm learning about each of them individually, but as a whole as well. I know that every day I get to show up and I say their name, every last name that's on there. Kind of fun on a screen because you can make sure you don't miss anybody because they're in a list and they all smile as soon as you say their name and they're like, oh wait, okay, I'm not behind a screen. And some of them, like I've never seen their face, but they all stay after class and teach me Spanish words and talk to me and tell me why they don't want to show their face. And, and I know by just like responding to the things that they tell me about themselves and remembering to bring those up. I, I am believing that they are feeling loved and valued in those pieces. I, we kind of do some Google forms and get to hear about them. And so I've brought in some of their music and then they're like, yeah, let's party. And, and I can see, and those things, hopefully that they feel that I hear them and I see them and I know them. And so I'm just trying to do that better and better with every single um, scholar and every kid so that they know that they're not just 
having to show up, but that they're wanted to be there, that I miss them when they're gone. And um, yeah, that they are a part of the plan. They're just, they're just, they get, they get to be a part of the plan for school instead of like just showing up and having to be there. Hmm. I'm curious, how many students do you have total? Um, we are like transitioning to put some more in my class. So I'll have like one of my Zoom rooms will be about 50 students, but total I have about 120 is my guess once they do that. 50 at one time? Yeah. Five zero? <laughs> yeah. That's going to be really hard, but that's a lot. Trying to come up with ways to still see them all. Wow. Okay. I hear that you are doing so many things to be intentional about connecting with your students and ensuring that they feel seen or that you're starting to see and know them. I'm curious if that, if those intentions and, and, and those different actions that you're taking, does that, does that live anywhere like in a plan or does it go into a plan or is this, these are sort of intuitive things that you do? I apologize. I don't think I understand the question. Yeah. I don't think the question is very clear. I'm really briefly stopping this right here because I wanted to say that I left that mushy, unclear part in for you because I want you to hear that I still, after many, many years of coaching, I can still ask garbled questions. I can still say things that don't make sense. Just like I just did with Abigail right there. Now, Abigail's response to my messy, unclear question was, I apologize. I don't think I understand the question. Her response was, uh, uh, was really important for me to register. Like she's feeling like there's something wrong with her. She apologizes, right? And I wanted to really clearly and immediately take ownership over I asked a messy question. That was my bad. And now you're going to hear me explain what I was trying to say. And what I what I just want to be really clear about with all of you listening is it's really okay. In fact, it's really really good to sometimes say, "Yeah, I wasn't clear. That was me." And actually, I realize I wasn't clear because sometimes you might want to explain just like I'm about to with Abigail. And sometimes you might just want to say like, yeah, you know what? Give me a second to think because that question wasn't clear. It's okay to be transparent like that, to be honest. And in fact, it can also be a really powerful modeling for your client that you too are a learner and that sometimes you say things that aren't clear. It's just really like, it's like not a big deal to be a, to be a person in progress and to be learning. 
All right, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, because actually, I think I'm realizing like I want to make I want to make a suggestion. But I'm also hesitating because I almost feel like, am I going to suggest something that you're already doing? Because I wouldn't be surprised if you're doing this. So that's why the question isn't clear because it's masking a suggestion, which is when you plan for a week, for a lesson, for a day, I would encourage you to perhaps create a column or have a section of your plan where you have something, you know, if it needs to be translated into the language of objectives or learning targets or outcomes or whatever, I'm just sort of saying it should be thought of that way. A section where you are intentional and planful about how you are going to communicate love and acceptance and belonging to your students. So traditionally we plan for like, here's the standard we're working on. Here's the learning target. You know, here's the the formative assessment that'll help me identify whether they met it. That's, that's good. It's important. But what if you had a part of the plan or a parallel plan that said, here's how I'm going to intentionally communicate that I'm seeing my students. Today, I'm going to play this music and that's how I'm going to. And when your students cheer and get excited, that's your feedback. That's like the formative assessment that says you met that objective. You hit it. Or when you tell me you say their names and they smile, that's like, okay, check. They felt seen. And I'm saying that I'm kind of raising that and saying that because in our society and in our education system, we don't place equal value. We don't really place, we place very little value, I think, on cultivating community and belonging. We place value on, are they going to meet the standard? Which again, that's part of it. But especially in the beginning of the year, especially when we're in the context of virtual learning, especially when you have students who don't want to come onto video yet because they don't want to be seen. It just makes me think about how I think, I think you would do this really well and you'd feel really good about what you're doing is if every day, every week you had like, here's the 25 things I'm going to do. I actually like really, really like that. Cause I think I like think about those things, but I don't, like for the first two weeks, that's basically what all we were doing. That was the lesson planning. And so we taught like habits of the heart and habits of learning and did like a lot of things to hopefully make them feel seen and heard. And I was struggling as going into math content of like, all right, now I got to get down on that math content. And we have this piece called crew that we start with our same kids and end with our same kids every day. That's going to be my very big group now. And but because of COVID, it's been shortened. And so instead of starting at 8.45, we start at 9. So we only have 20 minutes for crew at the beginning of the day and 30 minutes at the end. So to have 50 kids, that's less than a minute a kid. But I'm thinking about like even in math, like for all of my students, not just the ones I see at the beginning and the end of the day, to put a standard in there that's like, all right, we have our math standard today and we have like our people standard. This is our standard as being a person today and seeing each other, I think that's going to make 
me feel a lot stronger as well. I want that to make my kids feel super strong. And I love that idea of like, that's our formative assessment. We're like putting this in like a, my like mathematical mind station. And I like absolutely love that idea. Cause with my crew kids every day, we do like a morning greeting every single day. And it was one that I had learned through like a responsive classroom and last week's was languages. And so we said like, hi, my name is Abigail. And then we said, good morning in any language we wanted. I gave five options and then they could add any options that they wanted. And then they would say someone else's name. So one, everyone gets to hear their name by somebody else in the class. And then two, they, they get to take on that challenge to say hello. And so I love being able to do that with my crew, but I also absolutely am ecstatic about making a learning objective (laughs) or a standard on people while doing math. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's so typical that in schools we do the like community building, getting to know you stuff the first week or two, and then we drop it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, actually we still have those same needs. You said that your students get to be a part of the plan for school. And I wonder about, I wonder about engaging them. Middle schoolers are incredible resources. They're so knowledgeable. I love middle schoolers, my favorite people. But asking them this question of what makes you feel loved by a teacher? What makes you feel accepted in a community? And and continuing to ask that question because sometimes it changes too. And it changes when you get into the context of doing math, doing something that's really hard that you don't like. And, you know, but, but bringing them into thinking about what one of the reasons that I asked you what makes you feel seen and known is because you are teaching students, I'm not sure if it's the majority or all the students, but who don't share your some of your identity markers and perhaps your cultural or, or racial or ethnic background, you want to understand their experience when it comes to that sense of belonging and what feels like love and acceptance, right? And so to be cautious that you're not projecting your your norms that feel comfortable to you onto them. And so that's part of the reason why I'm suggesting continuing that conversation with students about what helps them feel known. But I think when you talk about all that, everything you're trying to do right now and your own internal hopes and expectations for yourself, which are a lot and they're the right ones. But I think at the end of the day, you might, be able to recognize the positive impact you're having and that you're doing what you want to be doing if you have established ahead of time. You're already doing this, but if it was just written down somewhere, I'm going to say every student's name today. Over the course of this week, I mean, that's what 120 divided by five, whatever that is. Like, you know, you'd have however many number of students each day that you're like, these are the ones who I'm going to have a two minute interaction with, whether that's so that there's some sort of, there's 
plan and intentionality. And I think it would allow you to feel more successful. Yeah, I really, really enjoy that idea. And I think it also like gives me something to like, if it's written down, then it's something to say, okay, yes, it happened. And then just like, remember, like, that was a really good thing that happened this week. Because I'm, I'm really, really good at seeing all the things that need to get better. Mm -hmm. Really good at seeing all the things that went terribly wrong, and that need to be fixed. And sometimes I like forget to sit down and just name the things that went right. And I've been trying to do that a lot with some of my other teachers and with myself and be like, okay, Abigail, like that might've felt little, but like, that was so awesome. And like, remember the things that went right. So by having like an emotional standard or a personal standard for my students every week that I will deliver and then having it written down, I can look back at that and say like, okay, these were the things that went, went right last week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also just thinking about, I think one of the advantages to the situation we're in is that we can use easily use these tools, like some of the online um, platforms for polling, you know, so surveying or, or just using Google forms so that it's anonymous or so that it's not public, but could you, you know, even ask them a question at the end of each day or at the end of the week, you know, like on a scale of one to five, I felt loved by my teacher. The other power in collecting that kind of data is when you ask them about their emotional experience or their affective experience, they start understanding this is something my teacher values. And this is something I can expect because at the end of every week, she's asking me, did you feel like I saw you connected with you? Love, did you feel loved by me? Did you feel cared for? And they start understanding that's a val- that's something valuable and important and I can expect that. Yeah, that's really awesome. One of the things that we're like doing with our students, at least that I put in based on one of our awesome social workers is in some of the Google forms I give, we do, I have like the, how are you feeling today? So it's like, you know, nervous, excited, tired, angry, mad, all of the things. And then in the next one, it says like, explain the feelings you checked. And I think by like, though, like giving specific questions then after that of like, did you feel loved this week by you? you know, your teacher, did you, how do you feel about X, Y, and Z? It's going to like be so much more impactful as well. Like still leaving that open-ended question, but I have some kids that are like, IDK, (laughs) come on, why you say IDK? And Mm -hmm. we we don't know. Like, I I think as a kid, if someone was like, why are you sad? You'd be like, I don't know. I'm just sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most adults would say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I, I, I also like that idea of one being consistent that it is, you know, every Friday you're going to see this or like every Monday you're going to see this. And then, but also like giving them more specific questions to like see where they are and like have them like internalize specific 
how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling excited or why I'm feeling angry. Is it because I'm not feeling loved in class or because I'm not being feeling like I'm part of the community or is it because of some other thing? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's a challenging question and it, you know, can probably benefit from some scaffolding and some, yes. I mean, it's a, it's a hard question and it's, you know, it can be complimentary to asking them. And I would ask them on a scale of like one to five. So it's not open-ended, but just like, you know, this week, I definitely felt like, you know, yes, absolutely. My teacher cared for me, loved me, or, you know, I don't really know, or, I mean, I would keep it pretty simple. So it's just a check, check, check of the boxes. But I think it just, again, it kind of shifts the, the expectation around like, this is what's most important to me. It's most important to me that you feel loved and cared for, because I know that that's a a precursor to being able to really take academic risks and to learn. And my job is to ensure that, you know, I do everything possible to create psychological safety in this classroom. So one of the things that I heard right away from you and that it is really common with, you know, just about every single new teacher is trying to figure out what do you prioritize Because all overwhelming, there's so much to do. So the question then, especially around how do you create a sustainable life, is what do you prioritize? And so that's why, that's why I asked you how you want your students to remember you in ten years, because the how you prioritize is is in that answer. But actually, it really sounds like you're. Like you're doing really well. All of the reflection, the self-awareness that you have, you know, that you're able to, to even pause to ask these questions and reflect in this way is really a sign that you're on the right path. Okay, so there's a couple of things that I want to mention here. First of all, you heard me just share with Abigail my reasoning for asking her that question about how she wants her students to remember her. And I was I was transparent. I was revealing my thinking, just like I'm revealing to all of you. Now, it is again, it is okay and sometimes even a really good thing to do to share your reasoning. You don't want to do this a lot, especially with someone who is new to whatever their role is, because they are, you know, they are really trying to think about being a new teacher or being a new leader, whatever it is. So you don't want to do it a lot because you don't want to kind of burden, drain them cognitively from what you want them to be thinking about. But doing it once in a while is a really um, powerful way to help someone have sort of a metacognitive moment, to help someone understand how the strategies you're using will help them and serve them. 
You want to do it sparingly, maybe once or twice in a conversation, maybe more if you're working with someone who's more experienced or someone who is a coach or a leader, but it's, it's useful to do it sometimes. Telling people the why helps them become more invested in your coaching. The second thing I want to name right here is that you'll hear me, you've heard me affirm Abigail and tell her that I think she's doing really well. And that is something that there's sort of some debate and discussion about in coaching. And I'm a part of this debate and discussion about the the challenges and opportunities and you know potential problems with affirming or validating a client it is a form of judgment it's a positive kind of a judgment that you are extending but it is it's saying you're doing good i'm the one judging i'm saying yes so sometimes that can be problematic and we just need to be aware of the potential impact it can have. We need to look out for like, is this problematic or not? This is a bigger conversation for us to have. And sometimes it's really the right thing to do, especially when you are perhaps working with someone who is brand new as Abigail is. And when you have a tremendous amount of experience, as I do, I've known, worked with, I would say coached directly, indirectly, probably thousands of first-year teachers. And I have a real um, understanding and a sense of what that experience is like, as well as what are the kinds of things we see in the first few weeks that that are signs that someone is going to do okay, that they're going to be okay. So when you have that kind of knowledge, it is trust building, relationship building, and it's just kind of the right thing to do to say to somebody, it sounds like you're doing really well. It sounds like you're going to be okay. And then to give them some specifics about why, which is what I do. And you'll hear me do this later as well. So that is okay to do. You want to be careful that you don't do it too much. You want to be careful that you are not the only one naming what it is that the person is doing well. Like they need to be able to see those things for themselves as well. They need to have that internal criteria for what it means to be doing well, to be on the right path. But it's okay to sometimes affirm, right? It's like, it's the human thing to do. It's what all of us want once in a while, a little bit. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I have really good supports. I think that kind of forced me to like pause and by supports, I mean like people supports because I have a wonderful friend, Helen, you know, a wonderful friend, Helen, and one by her, like talking about um, actually just pretty much anything under the sun. It rem- she like reminds me that like, all right, I need to pause. So when I thought about this podcast, it was like, all right, like what is actually going on? I need to pause, but I'm not always good at that. And like without having people around me to remind me that I hit two weeks where I work, I get up at five and then I keep working till midnight and I drive myself crazy. And then I like, remember that like, okay, Abigail, like 
are you going to pause today? And I think that's something that I'm learning hardcore. I'll probably learn for the rest of my life um, over and over again. And so, yeah, it feels very encouraging knowing that it feels that I'm going on the right path towards things and that I'm very aware when things aren't working. And at the same time, having those supports to remind me like how to continue on that path or like work on the things that are not working for me. So, and so that is kind of all over the place in a second, but just the, yeah, knowing how to like pull myself into the picture. And I, it's one of those things that I like cognitively know that like, Abigail, you have to be a part of this picture too. And like, you have to be known and seen and loved and you have to like, maybe make a standard for yourself. Like what standard and objective did you do this week that was for you and, and not for your kids and don't feel guilty about it. And I really want to feel guilty about it, but you're not going to repeat. And here's your objective. That's actually kind of funny. I'm probably going to do that now. Uh, and yeah. What would that look like? Like what would be, I mean, I hear you talking about setting either an intention or a goal or making a commitment to yourself. Like what would that look like for you this coming week? Yes, we have this group that gets together on Wednesdays and we like pick a different thing to do. Last week we were at a friend's farm. So we were able to like socially distance and be far from each other, but play with baby goats, which I love because I'm from a farm. (laughs) And so I think like this next week telling myself that like you are going like no matter what, like you are going and you need to take that time. And that will like be this week's objective, but maybe find something different every week that allows me to sit and like paint. I love to paint. haven't done it in a long time. I love to sew. haven't done it in a long time. And setting that objective, I think this week is like Abigail on Wednesday night at 630, you are going to go and see people and not work because that's something that is going to be make you more of you so that you can be more of you for your kids and for friends and happy life. That's really hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. But you, I can really hear that you see the reason why and you see how it'll benefit you and everybody else. What could be some possible obstacles or barriers to actually fulfilling that commitment on Wednesday? the amount of time it takes me to like get my work done. Like I need to like make sure that I do things ahead of time or just also it takes me longer to get work done because I never think that it's done enough or good enough. And so I think one of the barriers would be me telling myself that I haven't done enough for the next day or for the next couple of days, not, having enough sleep would potentially be a barrier for me because I might decide that like sleeping is the self care that I'm going to do instead of going to hang out, which I always act like sleeping and eating is enough of self care, which it's not, but I do that a lot. Yeah. So I think like my biggest barrier would be that I don't feel like I've finished enough work to allow myself to go do that. 
I'm also feeling though. Telling it's a lot easier to tell yourself to do this than to just like go do it. But I feel like I'm also telling myself that like by going to do that, you'll be able to get your work done faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot easier to tell someone else to do that than like to do it yourself, but mm-hmm. going to write it down. Well, so it's easier to tell someone else. So if it's Wednesday afternoon and you feel like I can redo this, I can work this over again for tomorrow. I could do this just a little bit more. I'm not going to go because I should do this. If that was a friend of yours telling you that, who's also a new teacher, what would you say? What would you say to her? I think I'd say that you've done your best in this time that you have and what you have is going to be really strong for those students, even if you feel like you can make it even better, but you're going to make it even better tomorrow by being super exuberant and happy. And if you continue to work all night and stress about making it better and better, you're not going to be exuberant and happy tomorrow. So if you can accept what you currently have and accept that that is going to be good. And even if there are some mess ups, like it'll still be good. Take this time now to like go be good for you so that you can be happy tomorrow for your kids and not feeling bogged down for your kids. Mm -hmm. So thinking about saying that to a friend, does that feel like, advice that you would take from yourself? It's a hard one, but I think good to hear. I had like a veteran teacher call me yesterday and she was like talking through some things. And I was like, Oh, here's like all the things that I like want to remind her of. And I want to tell her of, and I was like, Oh my gosh, Abigail, like that's why you need to be telling yourself. And so I even told her, I said, Like, Michelle, I know we are so much alike. And so this advice I need to, and it's the stuff you tell me. And when you give me advice, it's the stuff you need to hear. And so I think just by like vocalizing it out loud, it is something that like I'm going to be able to accept and take in. And so it's definitely easier to give than to receive that. But just by speaking out loud to her, like an actual person that I was hoping to give advice to, it was like, all right, Abigail, you have to, you have to take that too. Mm -hmm. If you're going to dish it out, like you got to eat it. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I hear that is sort of connected to your commitment to being authentic. You're not going to tell people to do one thing and you're not going to listen to it. I'm curious if you see any connection between honoring your commitment that you're sharing to your own self-care in terms of spending Wednesday evening doing something else. And I'm wondering if you see any commitment and any connection between that commitment and your word for the year and your commitment to being brave. I'm going to stop this here for a moment. You know, sometimes coaching is like, you ask questions and you ask other questions and other questions and other questions. And 
Hopefully you've planned for and prepared for these conversations and you've crafted some good questions and then you're really listening in the conversation and you're adjusting the questions that you've prepared, but you keep asking. And often I kind of feel like I'm um, maybe fishing, even though to be honest, I've never fished. But from what I understand fishing, like you keep casting out these lines and then you wait and you wait and sometimes you get a bite and like the line gets all taunt and you pull it in and reel it in. It's like exciting, right? Sometimes I feel like that in coaching, like I'm asking these questions and I never know which one is going to be the one that someone will really respond to that it'll like result in a in a big breakthrough, a big insight or a catalytic understanding or Um, and I just have to say what, like when you do get those bites and you do get that response, it's kind of a really unique thrill. It's like, it's why I coach. It's the same as when you were teaching, right? And you would see your kid's eyes light up with some understanding and you just get that like buzz, like, yes, that was it. That was the moment. Um, and so I also have to say, I often hope that those moments will happen, but I'm also not like attached to having them happen because I just have to let go of that kind of attachment. Otherwise I'm too clingy and too needy. And the conversation is not about me. It's about my client. So, um, but it feels really good when it happens. And the other thing is sometimes you just never know what it's going to be or why it's going to come when it comes which is what happened next with Abigail, because I had no idea that what I just asked her would result in the really important insight that she comes to about herself. I just had no idea. All right, let's hear what happened. I think the connection there, funny, so thinking about this now, I'm thinking about the reason that I like try to get work and tasks done so much is that I want them to come out perfect, which isn't ever going to happen. And I, and I want, I want students to take them perfectly. I want admin to take them perfectly. I want teachers to see me as like this amazing, whatever. And so I work and work and work until I think it's like perfect, which it never gets there. So I continue to work. And I think by, stopping and making that commitment to Wednesdays and making that commitment to myself, I'm being brave in the sense of I am going to continue to show up just as I am, not as perfect, not as got it all together. And that takes a lot of bravery because people might not think you're the greatest and like you have to, show up in that and like, be okay. Like be okay. Knowing that like I came with what I had best in the time that I had. And, and that's what I have. So brave and the courage comes from, I might get rejected and people might not see me as the number one. And, and that's okay. And I mean, that's what I want to teach my students. So that's like a good thing to think for myself and in that bravery. And for me this year, bravery has been showing up, right? Mm -hmm. When you get down to it, 
the first thing you got to do to be brave or courageous is to show up. And, um, and then I think the second part of that is like to show up truly and authentically as yourself. And so by not trying to perfect myself all day long and perfect my lessons. And I mean, yes, you want to do your best lessons, but you also have to know that it's your best lessons in the time that you have. Um, and so by mm. giving myself time off doing that and just showing up as completely me on a Wednesday night to have fun and play with goats or get a drink or go swim in a lake, like that's going to allow me to show up brave for my kids and yeah, brave in general. Mm. Mm-hmm. And do you love your students who are not perfect? So I'm going to pause here for a moment. At this point in our conversation, there actually were these really long, silent pauses. And Abigail was crying and she was nodding. And so, as I've mentioned, I record these episodes on a platform that gives me video access so I can see the person I'm talking to. So at this point, Abigail was nodding and crying. And there were these long silences, which if I left them in the podcast episode, it might feel a little weird. Like you might be wondering if something happened to your recording or to your internet. But the silences actually are so important to acknowledge Because often it's during the silences when people are coming to their deepest insights and realizations, and they need those moments to process silently, especially introverts. That's why it's really useful to know your client's tendency towards introversion or extroversion. And it's really important for coaches to learn how to be comfortable with silence and how to sit with someone virtually or in person through silence. Because we've been socialized to feel like silence means something is wrong. Silence is uncomfortable. Silence can be a beautiful, sacred space for someone to connect more deeply with themselves. So it's another way to be authentic because it's a way of demonstrating, look, you can be loved even if you're not perfect, even if you don't think you're perfect because nobody's perfect, by the way. And anybody who will only love you if you're perfect, like you actually probably really don't want their love because it's not real love. Yeah. So I'm curious just, you know, where you're at sort of as we come to the end of our conversation and, you know, if any any new insights about yourself or I think I'm just learning so much more every day again on like what it means to be you and and so like I came into this conversation I'll say like utterly nervous I was like I love this lady I love this podcast I am super excited but then terribly nervous because I was like I don't know if I bring enough. And 
I think just even in this conversation and over past time, I'm like learning that like showing up as you are is where we need to be. And that's what we need to teach our kids. And that's what we need to teach the world. And I think there would be a lot more connection in the world and a lot more um, empathy and a lot more strength uh, to move forward if we just showed up as we are. Beginning of this podcast, my hands were shaking like nobody's business. And I was like, I don't know what I'm saying. My brain is whatever. But then I just kept telling myself, like, Abigail, like, you're here. Like, just say what you're, what you're thinking. And now I'm just like really excited and really like pumped to go for the rest of my day and through the world and, you know, continue to explain that to people. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just really excited. I'm mm-hmm. feeling very brave at the moment and knowing that when you step in front of things that are scary and you think of all the worst case scenarios, they're never that bad. They actually usually turn to be like pretty awesome. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. I just feel very empowered right now. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of learning that you're going through too. It's a lot. Um, which, by the way, learning can also be exhausting. Like that's why I'm really glad to hear. Like playing with goats is so cathartic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Learning. And I can hear that you're, that you're so reflective, you're so self-aware and you're thinking about so many things right now. And just sort of, I'm just sort of like reminding you that when they, you know, sometimes the exhaustion can hit in October or something, September, October. And, and that is sort of the cumulative effect of just months and months of putting out all kinds of energy, including all of this, like, self-awareness, self-growth, even the energy of showing up authentically. Like sometimes that is, as you're saying, that takes a kind of courage. And it can be tiring too. It's definitely one that takes a lot of work. And again, like, I don't think you could ever go in the world alone. And I think my energy, when I get really exhausted, I have those people that I'm meeting now. Cause again, I'm in a new place and finding new people to be a part of that, that say like, I have you, like I have you in this and I'm going to, I'm going to continue to walk with you. I'm going to pick you up if I have to, or, and I know that you'll do the same backward. So I actually had, a friend that I think did that to me this week, same teacher that I have at school. And they were like, all right, your challenge this week is to ask me for three things. When you get overwhelmed, you have to ask me for something and I will do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, here we go. And so I know that I know that I'm going to get to the point again, that it's, overwhelmingly hard I mean it's still overwhelmingly hard but to where like I feel completely exhausted but I also know that I'll have those things that I can write down for myself but then 
those supports around me, even when it gets really tough. Like I will find those reasons to smile and I'll have those people to like hold me up. And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear that you've got, it sounds like a really supportive community and probably more broadly as well, because you sound like the kind of person who builds community and who, and who connects with others and who has just all kinds of internal and external, as you said, resources. And so things might get hard, but having seen, I don't know, thousands of new teachers, I'm really feeling confident that you're going to, you're going to do really well. well. Thank you. <laughs> and by that, I should say, you're going to have an impact on kids They're going to learn, they're going to feel loved, and you're going to feel joy in this experience. A lot of joy. Well, Abigail, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Elena. This has been a highlight of my day, my week, and probably for a while. All right, folks, that was my conversation with Abigail. I would really love to hear from you. If you are listening to these coaching episodes, what what do you think? Do you have feedback? What's useful? What would you want more of? I am really enjoying doing these. And ultimately, I want them to be something that helps you whether you're a coach or a school leader, whatever your role is in an organization, or I want them to be something that helps you to have more meaningful conversations with the folks you support, that helps you to make every conversation you have count towards building a more just and resilient world. So I'd love to hear from you. You can email me, That's Elena at brightmorningteam.com. Make sure you spell my name right, E-L-E-N-A. Or, you know, social media works too, although sometimes I miss those direct messages. So email's probably best. I'd love to hear from you folks. If you have not rated our podcast yet, and especially if you're enjoying it, I'd be so grateful if you would hop over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. The last thing I want to say before I sign off is, did you know that the Bright Morning Podcast is now going to have a monthly book club episode? Because I love books. I love talking about books. I love talking about books with other people. I love reading, implied in the I love books. And so we have started once a month. We're going to have an episode. The first one is going to be mid-September in which we'll talk about a book or a couple of books. And in mid-September, our books that we're talking about are both by Zadie Smith. One is her latest set of essays called Intimations, really short, fast, well, sort of a fast read, beautiful essays about this time that we are living in. She wrote them in the first couple of months of the pandemic. Beautiful essays. And then Rebecca and I, Rebecca, my teammate, and I are also talking about Zadie Smith's novel, N.W. 
And so, hey, maybe pick up one of those, both of those, read those if you haven't in the next week or week, 10 days, and then join us for the book club episode. I'm really excited about this new, this new offering, just because it's going to be fun. That's it for today. The Bright Morning Podcast is produced by Leslie Bickford and Stacey Goodman. And Stacey Goodman also does the sound engineering. And did you know, Stacey Goodman is my husband. All right, be well, everybody. 